Welcome back, healthy people, to another episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. This is part two of mental health in children and adolescents. I hope you enjoy part one of the series with Dr. Taya Johnson. And so this is part two that I promised you all last week. In today's HPI, aka Healthy People Information for you new listeners, I'm going to discuss how adolescents are diagnosed with depression. Last week, I talked about the PHQA questionnaire, which is the Patient Health Questionnaire A that is used to screen adolescents for depression. Listen to last week's episode to get the description of the questionnaire and look in the show description to see an example of the questionnaire. You just have to click on the link in the show description and it'll pull up what the questionnaire looks like and the questions that are on it. So what's the next step if your child has a high score on that questionnaire? Well, the next step is for them to be fully assessed for depression. This will require more questions and more doctor visits. As Dr. Johnson stated in last week's episode, and something I totally agree with, it may take a few sessions to get a diagnosis and that diagnosis may be fluid, meaning it may change over time. One tool that is used to evaluate individuals for depression is a manual called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, 5th edition, aka DSM-5. It's a mouthful saying all those other words, so we just say DSM-5 for short. This manual breaks down mental health disorders, including depression. The DSM-5 has criteria for diagnosing someone with depression. The criteria includes five or more of the following symptoms have been present during the same two-week period and represent a change from previous functioning. So if there's any time you want to listen to what I'm saying right now, it is this time right here. So I'm going to repeat what I just said. The criteria for depression includes five or more of the following symptoms have been present during the same two-week period and represent a change from previous functioning. So your functioning of how you were previously acting and behaving has to have changed within this two week period. At least one of the symptoms is either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So once again, for the diagnosis of depression, you have to have at least five or more of the following symptoms that I'm about to list and at least one of those symptoms has to be either a depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So let's get into what some of those symptoms can include in those five symptoms. So there's more than five symptoms total but you have to have a minimum of five. So as I just mentioned one of them has to be depressed mood and that's depressed mood most of the day nearly every day as indicated in that questionnaire that I talked about last week. So a person has to either feel sad, empty, or hopeless. Symptom number two, markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or most all activities most of the day. So these are people who are isolating themselves the majority of the time. They just want to stay in the house by themselves and not interact with anyone. So that's diminished interest or pleasure in all or most activities. So things that were previously give someone joy. Let's just say a person likes to go to the movies or go bowling or likes to go to the park and they're not doing those things that they used to do. So that's diminished interest and pleasure in doing things that they previously like to do on a regular basis. Symptom number three, 
significant weight loss, not attributing to dieting or exercising. So they're just losing weight and they haven't been doing anything different. Or you can be gaining a whole bunch of weight. That usually is from overeating excessively, but can be a sign of depression. So it's either losing a whole bunch of weight or gaining a whole bunch of weight. Symptom number four, sleeping too much or sleeping too little. So that's very easily explainable right there. You're sleeping too much, you're staying in a bed all day, or you just can't go to sleep at all. Psychomotor agitation. This is symptom number five. So it's moving too slow or being restless. Something that you may notice or other people may notice just observing you. Symptom number six, fatigue, feeling tired, always having low energy. Symptom number seven, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. So you're always feeling guilty about something nearly every day. Symptom number eight, diminished ability to think or concentrate or make decisions nearly every day. So you may be indecisive, you just can't stay focused, having decreased concentration, that's a symptom of possibly having depression. And number nine, recurrent thoughts of death, not just fear of dying, recurring suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt or a specific plan for committing suicide. So those are all the symptoms that have to be a minimum of five to be considered to have depression. But like in the discussion with Dr. Johnson, these conditions can overlap with other conditions. And you also have to rule out certain factors that may be somewhat comparable to having depression. For example, if you just lost a loved one, like a child just lost a family member or somebody real close to them, or they just had a natural disaster, for example, like a hurricane has recently hit their town and they lost everything. Those things can be attributed to just having a normal response and not necessarily being depressed. They may just have a depressive episode in the midst of this, but they're not actually a depressed individual. I hope you kind of get what I'm saying and what I'm meaning from that. The symptoms of depression may also cross over with other conditions, such as bipolar and eating disorders. Therefore, it's highly important to have the proper assessment by a mental health professional to get the proper diagnosis. It may be more than one item that is causing these symptoms. It may not just be depression. It may be anxiety, depression, and bulimia. Some of these things I discussed apply to adults as well. So don't think what I'm just talking about is just for adolescents. So some of the things may be applying to you who's listening to this. You may have heard some of the symptoms I'm listing off and thinking, man, Dr. Randy's checking off all the boxes that I have in myself. So you might need to go get yourself checked out. But let's get back to the kiddos and continue the conversation with psychiatrist Dr. Taya Johnson. We pick up the discussion with how to take away the negative stigma of mental health. So let's get back into the episode with Dr. Taya Johnson. I think it's been getting better recently as far as the stigma of mental health. More people are talking about it online, socially, on TV. How do we get over that stigma of mental health? Because I still have people come see me, like I mentioned earlier, anxiety and depression. And then I'll tell them like, okay, I think you need to go see somebody, a therapist, or you may need to be on medication. Well, I ain't crazy. I ain't say you was crazy. 
Like you just have some anxiety and some depression. Like it's just some trauma that's going on in your life. It's like sometimes you just go through stuff and it weighs on your brain and you just need to go talk it out. That doesn't mean you're crazy. Technically, you're normal because everybody goes through these things. I think you just have to think of that as something that's just normal and you're not crazy. Like, so what's your thoughts on like helping to take away that in society as for that's the stigma of being quote unquote crazy. First of all, we have to stop separating mental health from physical health. Right. Cause I hate that. I hate behavioral health and mental health and physical health. Like that way that we separate it first and foremost, that needs to stop. It's all health. It's the whole entire body. It's the whole entire person. All of it is health. Physical, all of it's physical health, because if we think about it, anxiety, depression, that's something that's going on in the brain. The brain is something that's physically on your body, so that's still physical health. But because mm-hmm. we separate it out, that contributes to the stigma, which that allows for it, the stigma with, you know, insurance reimbursement rates and all that kind of foolishness. But the other thing is we also have to talk about mental illness just like any other illness of the body. I tell people all the time when they come in, well, I don't want to take medicine for my anxiety because I don't want to get addicted to the anxiety medication. And I tell them, so if you have diabetes and you have to take insulin, you're going to say you don't want to take your insulin because you don't want to be addicted to it? Because that's, that's basically the same. And they're like, well, no, I'm okay. Well, then don't do that with anxiety. If it's something that you need treated, you get it treated. I use those analogies all the time. I'll say, you know, if you got the flu, are you not going to go and get some medicine to help treat the flu? No. Okay. (laughs) Same thing. So we have to see mental illness as the same and mental illness treatment as the same as any other illness within the body. And we have to get doctors and medical professionals to talk about it in the same realm so that it helps lower the stigma. Because I think, you know, lay people are not going to think about it in that way, unless somebody brings it to their attention. So I think we as medical professionals have to do a better job of talking about mental illness and normalizing mental illness treatment, because like I said, it's, it's the same with, like you said, with, you know, somebody comes in for a blood pressure issue, they get blood pressure medicine. If, you know, dietary modifications don't lower their blood pressure, mm-hmm. they don't hoot and holler and kick and scream out the door saying, I'm not, I don't have high blood. Well, they might say I don't have high blood pressure, but they ain't. Uh, it's more so to die. I'm not crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not crazy for needing high blood pressure medications. Like, no, nobody said that, you know? And so I think we have to get to the point to where people don't look at mental illness as the quote unquote crazy thing, but it's just an illness just like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely got to take away that stigma. It's two things that I can think of off the top of my head that really never shut off all your life. It's like your heart and your brain. Mm-hmm. So like imagine just running on your feet all the time, like for, for all your life, like you're going to have some trauma to your feet. Same thing with your right. brain. Your brain is always right. running like right. all the time. Even when you go to sleep, you having dreams, your brain is running. So yep. it's totally normal when you have something that kind of injures your brain, creates some trauma, not like a concussion, but like anxiety and depression type stuff that can cause those type of symptoms. Right. So we got a couple of questions. I sent out some text messages to some of my friends, lifelong friends. So we're going to call this Dr. Randy's Medical Med Bag Questions. So starting off with question number one, what are your thoughts on disciplining children? To spank or not to spank, to spare the rod, spare the child. You yeah. know, unfortunately, yeah. our people sometimes go outside and get the switch and 
that's unfortunately a part of black culture, that type of stuff. Right. So I will say this. So discipline in and of itself is needed. Like kids have to have discipline. If kids don't have some form of discipline, they are going to think they run the show and that's going to be a problem. That goes back to that thinking that the world is going to do whatever they say, whenever they say it and all that stuff. And they're going to just end up, you know, either hurt because somebody going to end up getting them <laughs> for <laughs> thinking like that or they going to end up breaking the law and end up in the juvenile justice system because they think they can do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. So yeah. discipline is necessary. It is the manner of discipline which can be an issue. Now, me personally, I don't have a problem with spankings. You're supposed to do spankings up until like age eight, I think. And it's supposed to be open hand spankings on the bottom. You know, that's what it's supposed to be or whatever. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with that. I think the, where the problem lies is when people go overboard <laughs> into that abuse category mm -hmm. to where you know you pulling out extension cords and and you know things like that and getting bruises on the kids and stuff then it's like okay you're doing a bit much when you get in and if it's taking all that that sounds more like anger from the parent versus really trying to teach an issue especially in an older kid if you think about it you trying to spank or whatever you want to call it an older kid what are you really thinking that that's doing at, you know, 14, 15 year old beside the fact that they just get hurt, like mm -hmm. physically, like what, what problem is that solving? That's not solving anything. The way you deal with that is consequences for their actions. So while someone might say, well, that spanking or whatever, that's the consequence. Well, that consequence we're not going to stick with and make a teenager change their behavior. They're going to need something that's going to make them change their behavior. What's going to make them change their behavior? Taking that phone away, mm -hmm. taking their privileges away, you know, things like that. That's something that's going to stick with them longer versus getting hit with something because that's only going to be for a few moments and then that's fleeting. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to learn anything from that. So discipline in of itself is needed. It's just how you go about disciplining the child that can be a problem. Right, right. Totally agree. There's different levels of discipline. You don't have mm -hmm. to necessarily beat your child if they do something wrong. Like Dr. Johnson mentioned, there's other ways you can take their phone, restrict their TV time, screen time. There's other ways that you can discipline a child so they can change their behavior. So mm -hmm. question number two, how do you help children deal with the loss of a loved one, like a parent? grandparent, especially like little children, let's just say less than uh, 10 years old, trying to explain to them death and how to help them cope with that. So it's really hard to get a kid under six to understand that kind of loss. And the reason why is because until about six or seven years old, kids do not understand the finality of death. So they don't understand. If you say tell them somebody died, they don't know what that means. There's like, they'll be like, okay. And then the next day they're going to ask for them or ask where they're at and you'll have to keep repeating yourself. So when they're under six, you just have to try to explain it to them in a developmentally appropriate way and know that they probably are not going to understand what you're talking about because they don't get that death is final. So they may ask you every day, where is so-and-so or where, you know, where, what happened to them or whatever. I had a friend who had a, a significant loss not that long ago. And her, her son was, um, I believe three at the time. And he would always ask, well, where, where is she? Where is she? So every day she would just say, 
she's with Jesus. She went to go be with Jesus, you know, and he mm-hmm. would ask every day, well, when is she, is she coming back and seeing Jesus? She went to go see Jesus. Like that's just, that was her way of explaining it to him. And he took it and, and that was okay. Once they're over that six to seven year old range, they can understand the finality of death. And that's when you just have, again, a developmentally appropriate conversation about it. You don't hide details from them and you answer their questions because they're, they're going to have questions. And so I know sometimes people are like, don't tell them that such and such died. You know, let's just keep us. Don't do that. That's probably the worst thing you can do because they're, they're going to resent that once they get older and find out that you lied. So you just have to be honest with them about what happened, but in an age appropriate way. Now, you know, if someone committed suicide or something, they're like, you know, you don't go and say to the eight year old, Hey, your aunt, killed herself and that's what happened that's kind of traumatic you don't say that but you still you know you give enough details to where it's development appropriate but your aunt was struggling really bad and you know she ended up passing um and and you know if you believe in heaven and stuff you know going to heaven or however you want to explain it but maybe if it was like a 16 year old you can explain you know no this is what really happened you know with with that person right right do you recommend kind of in those situations that over six, like you mentioned, that proactively getting the child to see a therapist? Or not necessarily, because they, they may not need it. It might not be needed. That's one of those things where you kind of have to, it's like going through a traumatic event. You kind of see how things go for a while, because you can have something very, very traumatic happen to you and never develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, and you know, in the first moments when it, when it's fresh, when things first happen, yeah, I'm going to expect you to have some issues with adjusting to that, you know, in the first couple weeks or so. But if you see that that's getting better, it's not necessarily needed that you have to, to go into therapy or whatnot. Now, if you notice that things are still prolonging and that they are still having, you know, struggles, you know, a, a month or two out, out from whatever happened, then that's when I'm like, okay, maybe you need to, you know, seek grief counseling or whatever. But you'll be surprised that a lot of folks, a lot of kids actually don't have to go through any kind of therapy if you just let time kind of ease things out. Okay. Okay. So the last question from the medical med bag of questions, this comes from Summer in Austin, Texas. I just made that name up. But uh, what are preventative measures parents can take to ensure their kids develop and keep stable mental health? Well, I think we spoke on that a little bit earlier with parents taking care of their own mental health first and foremost, and then, you know, having a loving but boundary-filled environment, you know, so the kid is not thinking that they run the house. And then, you know, taking time to talk to them um, and, you know, build build a strong relationship with them. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can try all that stuff. And even with that, you know, if they got some serious craziness going on in school with bullies or whatever, they could end up, you know, having symptoms of depression or things like that. So, you know, it's that nature versus nurture thing. Like you can do the best that you can, but once they go out in that environment outside your door, you can't protect them from everything. You can try your best, but you can still do all those things and they still have, you know, issues and, and it's okay. Like, you know, you can't protect them from everything. So once you, when you notice those warning signs that we talked about earlier, then you, you know, make sure to get them treatment and help. Right. right. Just don't let it linger to where it can get to a crazy point. Cause that's the thing too. Sometimes parents will let stuff get so bad and they'll show up at my door with a 17 year old talking about Dr. Johnson, we need your help. And I'm like, Y'all should have came to me when she was eight years old. I can't do nothing with this now. 
you know, because things get so bad. And most of the time when I'm saying that, I'm talking about like, you know, crazy, defiant behaviors and, you know, running away behavior, stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know what magic wand y'all think I have now that's going to fix this. That's, that don't exist. Like y'all should have came to me a long time ago. So that would be another thing is don't wait until stuff gets to where you can't tolerate it anymore. Start getting the, tr- the help, seeking the help when it's small mm-hmm. before it gets to, you know, a crazy season. And then you're like, oh, now we need help. And it's like, well, you should have came a long time ago. Right, right. You can wait too long and it's too late to help a certain individual by the time they get to Dr. Johnson or get to myself. There is no magic pill. There is no magic therapist for every situation. Sometimes you might have a whole bunch of trauma. We, we can get you better, but we can't get you back to like, quote unquote, yeah. whatever normally is. is. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell them all the time. I'm like, there is no... They'll be like, well, Dr. Johnson, I need something that has no side effects that's going to make me feel better and it's going to make me do what I'm supposed to do. I said, hold up. I got just the thing. Dang it, I left my magic wand at home. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, I, not, that doesn't exist. You know, like, it, you know, you got to be realistic. And so being having realistic expectations will help you to get better, too, because that's the other thing. Is like people will be like, oh, the medicine's not working. What do you think it's supposed to do? Well, it's supposed to make me feel happy every single day. I'm supposed to be happy all day, every day. Nobody's happy all day, every day. Everybody has their day. So you're having an unrealistic expectation for the medicine. It's not supposed to make you happy all day, every day, no matter what happens to you, because then that would be you're not having emotions. We have emotions for a reason. So you're going to respond to things with emotions when things happen. So if something sad happens, I expect you to be sad, even if you are on an antidepressant. It doesn't keep you from experiencing that. It's just going to make it to where you don't go into a deep sadness of lasting for weeks and weeks on end, but you still should be sad if something sad happens to you. You should get mad if something makes you angry. That doesn't mean this is going to take away your anger completely. You're still going to have that. If somebody does something to you, that's an appropriate response. So that's sometimes what I have to explain to parents, especially because they'll be like, oh, well, she, we got into an argument yesterday because, you know, she'll be like, well, she, she did blah, blah, blah. And I said this to her. And so she got mad and I don't think her medicine work. I'm like, that's a normal reaction to that situation. What what were you expecting? So having really. I would have got mad too. Exactly. And I say that too. I say it. I'd be like, that would have made me mad. So what, what, so you said I, my medicine ain't working. I'm not even on meds. So what, you know, you say I need medicine to control that. It's like, no, we have emotions for a reason. They are there for a purpose. So we don't want emotions to go away. Even with anxiety. I tell people all the time, anxiety serves a purpose for us. It becomes a problem when it keeps us from being able to function, but anxiety serves a purpose to keep us out of harm's way. So you want some level of anxiety. You want to be able to feel some level of anxiety. We're not going to make it go away completely, but it's when it's impairing your functioning that it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just having realistic expectations is very, very important because people really do look for the magic pill, the magic therapist, the magic whatever, and it just don't exist. Right, right. Okay. I'll probably spend more time explaining that than anything else. <laughs> that there's no magic wand. Mm-hmm. Because no that's what we expect. And that's that's probably my biggest frustration with psychiatry and the the you know, the notion that people feel like psychiatry is easy because they think, you know, oh, she's going to give me a pill and everything is just going to be fine tomorrow. Like, no, no, that's not how this works. If you had to leave one message with parents regarding mental health, what would that be? What I just said. Don't wait. (laughs) Don't wait. 
for treatment. Don't wait until it's too late to get treatment and have realistic expectations for the treatment when they're in the treatment. Right, right. Got to set those realistic expectations. That's the same thing I tell my patients as well. I mean, stuff takes time to work. Medication takes time to work. There are certain pills that are just not like that automatically, especially I'll talk about this maybe with you later or somebody else like sleeping. Sleeping issues is a hard thing to treat. People think they can come in and see me like, oh, I'm having trouble sleeping. Give me some Ambien or give me some Xanax and that they're going to be falling asleep like in the next two or three days being on the medication. It can take three months to six months for that medication to start working. We have to adjust dosages and medicine. We always try to explain expectations to people about mm-hmm. different conditions. Like, Cause especially with these teenagers, see, my first thing is I don't even go to medicine first. My, my thing is what's your sleep hygiene? Because mm-hmm. most of the time they got poor sleep hygiene and they mm-hmm. wonder why they can't fall asleep, but they got this cell phone with this blue light in their face all night long. And they wonder why they ain't going to sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to get off the phone. Yep. Well, I can't sleep without my phone. No, that's not true. You're, mm-hmm. you're making yourself not be able to fall asleep because you're on your phone. You know, mm-hmm. I, I talk sleep hygiene probably more than anything, too. Like, I feel like I should be a sleep medicine doctor because I talk about sleep hygiene all the time. Right, right. And so what Dr. Johnson means by sleep hygiene is things that we counsel people on. Things like a repetition when you go to sleep, going to bed at the same time if you can every time, turning off the TV. Stopping your phone screen time before going to sleep, doing that like 30 minutes to an hour because that blue light from those different things can keep your mind racing and stop you from going to sleep and also stop you from staying asleep. Other things that I tell people is only use the bed for intercourse and for going to sleep. So when your brain see the bed, it's only two things that's about to happen. You about to, something about to start happening or you about to go to sleep. Like one of them two things are about to happen because if your brain sees the bed and it's like, oh, it's time to snack on some Cheetos or it's time to read or it's time to watch Martin on BET, like mm-hmm. your brain is trained for so many different things. Like you, they suggest like not having a TV in the bedroom. So when you go in the bedroom, it's time to go to sleep or it's time to get it in one or the other. So. Thank you, Dr. Johnson, for sitting down and talking to me. We got one last section that we're going to do. It's called Randy's Random Questions. Oh, Lord. I'm bring you back. <laughs> oh, Lord. She didn't hit the old Lord. So we're going to bring her back for that. So you ready for Randy's Random Questions? All right, let's do this, whatever these are. <laughs> All right. So you're from Louisville, born and raised. Yep, yep, yep. You're a Louisville Cardinal. So for those who haven't been to Louisville, especially the Kentucky Derby, can you explain the great fanfare of going to the Kentucky Derby and just the potential great time that they would have just going there? Mm, Not really, because that's more of the... Can I say this? Go ahead. (laughs) Um, You know... That's more of the white people thing to do at the Kentucky Derby. I mean, let's just be honest. At black people growing up, we couldn't afford to go to the Derby. Like, it's mm-hmm. expensive to go to the Derby races. So everything surrounding the Kentucky Derby, like all the festivities and stuff, yeah, that's we were involved with. Yeah. But actually going to the Derby race itself, it costs way too much. Like, I'm I'm just now making enough money to be able to go to the Derby. And the Derby was canceled for 2020 <laughs> because of COVID. 
but hopefully one day I can and can go or whatever. But you know, that's that's usually the time when Louisville is the best time of the the year. We celebrate the Derby like it's a holiday. Celebrities come in town. There's all kind of galas and parties. Tell us about the galas and the parties that they're usually having out there. They have several different celebrity galas. I don't remember. I, I mean, there's so many of them that just be happening. Like it's like every day, every night leading up to the Derby, there is a gala going on and it's either celebrity field or most of the time they're celebrity field and um, very expensive to go to. Like I probably will never be able to afford to go to one of those just because I'm not spending my money for one party unless I'm just like, Rich, rich, and which I don't know if I'll ever get to that point, but we're gonna claim you're gonna be rich. Okay, we'll claim it then, claim it. Um, (laughs) but like I I volunteered for one of the um, one of the galas a few years ago, and Stevie Wonder performed, so I got to see him performing in in live in person. Um, and uh, was Steve Harvey the Steve Harvey was the host, and uh, Beyonce's mama, Tina Knowles, she showed up. She was there. Anthony Anderson was there. So, you know, a couple of a couple of celebrities and stuff were there. But like I said, I was volunteering, so I was kind of, I was working or whatever. But it was still fun to be able to see them and be like, oh, I saw such and such mm-hmm. at the game, even though so, I didn't pay. <laughs> so if I'm not mistaken, tell me if I'm wrong. There's two ways that you can do derby, because I've been there once. So you can do the cheap derby which is sitting in the middle of the track and watching the horse races that way, bringing your chair and all of that. It may cost like $100 to go and sit in the middle of the track, but you don't yeah, get as, yeah, it's the infield, but you don't get all the pomp and circumstance of like going to the derby. Usually people no. sit in the infield, you dress super casual, bringing your lawn chair, all of that, like, but to do the expensive derby, getting in those high-priced seats, it may be like two, three hundred dollars to sit in those seats. Maybe like two, three hundred. How about almost a thousand? Almost a stack five, six. Go higher, five, six hundred. That's the covered seats, though. Well, yes, that is the. Co- but who wants? But it, it usually rains every year for derby. So yeah. who wants to be in a seat that's not covered? You got if you go into the derby, it usually rains, so you want a covered seat. Mm-hmm. You don't even want them other seats because you're gonna end up wet, and you might as well be on the infield. Because if if you're in the infield, you're in the mud. That's mm-hmm. why you dress super casual because if, when it rains, because it always does every derby, you end up in the infield with the mud, you muddy and everything with everybody drunk and stuff in the mud. Right. That's why you dress casual. That is definitely true. So if you're ever thinking about going to Derby and doing it big, make sure that you try to at least get a covered seat. Mm-hmm. That may be like a thousand. The uncovered seats may be like three, four hundred. It rains frequently. And then if it doesn't rain, it may be hot. So no, um, it's really cold. If it doesn't rain, it's usually cold. No, I've been out there. When that's, that's, that's the way that it usually happens. Cause well, you know, we pay attention to that. So we'll be like, it's raining or it's cold. Like it ain't never nice weather for derby it's never just super nice right right and we didn't say derby is the first saturday in may every year no matter what well besides 2020 they did stuff different but normally derby is the first saturday of every may yep so around cinco de mayo also they usually have like a big boxing match usually the first of may around there so derby kind of coincides with that what do you do personally to keep yourself sane mentally Work out. Mm-hmm. Work out. If I don't work out, I don't feel right. Mm-hmm. I don't think sometimes people out, realize how, how much that is good for their mental health. 
Yes, all the time. I be t- I tell my patients that all the time. Working out does wonders, but yeah, that's that's for me. Working out or like dancing around the house. Those are my those are my favorite things to do. Right, right. You get so much mental clarity from just kind of slowing down your life and going exercise. I remember that in medical school, I was just so much in the grind of medical school that I wasn't working out. And then it started affecting me mentally. I'm like, I felt like I always got to sit, got to sit, got to sit. But when I start slowing down my life and going exercising, it improved my cognitive ability. Like I felt like I was able to study better and retain stuff better as well. Yep. Last question. What is a Delta? <laughs> a Delta is what an Aka ain't, what a Zeta want to be, what a Sigma can't, what the Alpha's like, what the Kappa's love, what Q sci-fi can't get enough of. Okay. That's what a Delta is. <laughs> and that wraps it up. Dr. Johnson, she's one of the proud members of Delta Sigma Theta. You want to shout out your, your line sisters or your line or anybody specifically from Delta? Yes, my line sisters, who I love very dearly, Hitless, Zai Springle 8, the best to come out of Zai chapter. Yeah, I'm going to just leave it there. Okay, okay. If you, when y'all watch this video portion, y'all going to see the swag turn all kind of different in that last part. <laughs> she start hitting them angles and stuff. Like, I thought she was, yep, yep. I thought she was about to start duck walking and stuff. And I that. mean, I was about to hit it real quick, but now I ain't, we ain't got time for that. We ain't got time for it. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you. We're going to let you off the hot seat. That's it for Randy's random questions. So thank you for providing good mental health education. So people like this in the future, hopefully we can sit down and talk some more and get some more information, good things to help out adolescents and children as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I'll be on time next time. You better because we ain't got time for that. All right. All right. (laughs) Appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. Let's say Dr. Johnson provided some great information in part two of the interview. I hope you all learned some things just like I did. Y'all not the only ones getting educated over here. I'm learning some stuff too. Be sure to get your mental health in order as well as your children if you have any. We have to get our mind right just like our bodies. Thanks Dr. Johnson again for being part of this episode. I've had two members of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated on this podcast. Where are all the AKs at? I need y'all to get on one episode. Nah, but for real, next week I'll have a lovely lady of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated to discuss her swimwear line called Naked Cove. So she'll be on here next week. If you're trying to have a hot girl summer and get your nice swimsuit, this will definitely be the episode you need to listen to and get some pieces from her and learn something about swimsuits. I know I do. You'll definitely want to check out the visual clips I put up for next week's episode as well. So be sure to follow my Instagram page at underscore Dr. Randy. So look out for the interview dropping sometime next week. Be sure to rate, like, and subscribe and share with others. Shout out to my friend Maria. She's always sharing my posts that I post on Facebook. I appreciate the love and support and you supporting the podcast. I hope you score five soccer goals and get three red cards at your next soccer event. I don't know how that works out with the red cards. I I don't think that's a good thing, but I hope you have a good time at your next soccer event. 
be sure to check out all the other episodes of my podcast if you haven't listened to them already some good information colon cancer screening um, information about gas bloating we've already talked about depression it's a litany of different things that i've talked about thus far and i hope you all have learned something we're like 19 episodes in right now so i'm putting out some good content and i hope you all like it if you like it be sure to share with others that's how it really helps me out in the podcast i'm doing this all for free right now this is all for y'all i'm not making any money doing this so this is just out of love and support maybe one day in the future i'll make it for a profit but right now this is just all off the love and all off the strength of just trying to help you all out with your health making sure it's in order so y'all know the hashtag or the line i use at the end stay healthy physically and mentally i'll see y'all next week